Do you remember where you were when we elected a Sasquatch president? How about when you learned Ben Franklin was a robot? Or first heard Stalin's mixtape? I'm Zach Powers. I'm Brian Flynn, and we host The Revisionists. Each episode, one person explains real history and another tells an alternate version. And the winner becomes the truth. We let comics from Denver and around the country run wild through history. It's an in-depth look at history, but with more Babadooks. Check out The Revisionists, available every other Saturday. Wherever you get podcasts and at revisionistpodcast.com. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to John's Audio Resume Volume 4. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And Happy New Year! The first show of 2018, we are continuing with this great series, John's Audio Resume, where I take you through every job I've ever had. Why am I doing this? A, it's fun. B, we've all had a ton of careers in our life, and on this show, I like to explore how people got to where they are, what informs who they are. And in the past so far, I've done factory work, which, I mean, not to put too fine a point on this, but made me realize that I wanted to use my brain for a living, standing up for 10 hours a day, having paper cuts all over my hands, not for me. Second job I ever had, door-to-door salesman, and... That will increase your empathy tenfold. You will never be unnecessarily rude to anyone coming up to you ever again. Third job, food service. You ever met someone who's mean to like a waiter or waitress? Fuck them, right? Fuck them right in the ear. That is awful. Be nice to people. That is a hard job. I worked there like 10 shifts and it was brutal. So be nice to the people in the service industry. Fourth job. Here we go. This is it. After I graduated senior year, or shortly before I graduated, I got a job with the city of Golden, working on their baseball fields. Now, I was something of a late add to this, because my best friends at the time, and still some some of the people I count as my best friends in the entire world, Carson makes a return appearance here, and he didn't show up to that job at, uh, at the chart house, which I guess was his prerogative, and he left me to deal with it, but uh, whatever, that was all fine. So he's there, my friend Jamie works there, our friend Brett works there, and Brett's brother had worked there before. So we were all sort of tied into the city of Golden. And essentially what the job is, is you get fields ready for like to be played on. You drag them, you get them all smoothed out. There's nailing, there's beaming, and there's dragging. And then you chalk the lines, you sweep out the dugouts. Uh, that's pretty much it. You spray paint the foul line along, like in the outfield. Um, there's like one line, it's called the co-rec line. If you're playing men's and women's, when women were up, you couldn't go like in front of this certain line. So you had to mow that. Like it was a really easy and fun job. And so my friends all worked there and I'm like, Hey, I need a job for the summer. They're like, Hey, come work for the city. So Brett was in tight with the supervisor, this guy named Brandon, and basically moved my application to the top. 
did the interview. Uh, incidentally, went to Spain the next day. And uh, came back, found out uh, I had to take a drug test, which, honestly, I was kind of worried about because I drank a lot in Spain. And when you're 18, you're kind of stupid. And you're like, man, I hope this alcohol doesn't show up because I'm not of age. And in case you couldn't tell this about me, I'm very, very anal. And so took the drug test that night, coincidentally, uh, tried to get drunk again. And for whatever reason, was too full, couldn't do it. And, uh, my friends had some weed. It was the very first time I ever smoked weed the day. It was like the day I either took or I found out I passed the drug test. That's right. I was high and Brett came in. He goes, you passed your drug test. And I go, well, that's certainly ironic, isn't it? Um, okay. Well, good to know because I couldn't pass it again if I had to retake it, if there was like a problem with it, cause I'm stoned as fuck right now. So anyway, um, yeah, that was the very first time I ever smoked pot. So I was 18 and then did it a few more times that summer. And then basically not much at all. I could count the number of times on two hands that I did it until it was legalized. And then I blew out my back and now, you know, at some point you just, you don't count anymore. Cause why would you count? Like how old are you? But, uh, anyway, so I got the job and this is, without a doubt, my favorite job of all time. Paid $9 an hour, which in the year 2000 was great. I mean, what fantastic wages. $9 an hour? I mean, come on, though. Minimum wage at the time was like $4.50 or $5.25 or whatever it was. It was small. So 9 bucks an hour. You got to work in the sun. You were with your friends. And I, I don't know that I could have been happier. You'd go work for like six or eight hours or whatever it was. You'd have to, you know, get the fields prepped. Sometimes you'd have to plant sleeves in the ground where they'd insert the bases. And each type of game had, like, different distances. So you'd have to figure out what the slate of games were. And then from there, like, you'd have to plant the bases appropriately. So there'd be different sleeves dug in there, and they'd be marked off with what they what we were called chickens. There were these little, like, styrofoam sort of, I don't know, almost like cylinders with... Just little like wires sticking up so you knew where they were. So you'd pull them out. You'd put the base in. That was it. You'd get the, the fields ready for the games that night. Uh, people would play on them. Then you'd start it over the next day. It was really fun. It was really easy. Um, and admittedly, we should have been fired. Like every day, we did something awful and we should have been fired. We were <laughs> We were not good stewards of that job or of the public's money. So for the taxpayers of Golden, Colorado... In the year 2000, I apologize. I was not uh, a good steward of your money. What am I talking about? Let me give you an example. Okay. So when uh, when we had spray paint cans for painting the outfield lines, we used to bust them open on, uh, on the side of the dumpster. Our boss comes up to us one time. He goes, why is there paint on your neck? He says that to Jamie. Jamie's like, I uh, was trying to hair and then just trailed off. Brandon's looking at him like, okay, I know what you did, you dumb little shit. Just say it. Or don't. You know what? I don't even care. Never mind. Just leave. Just shut up. Just please get the fields ready. Um, we used to do uh, Vietnam rolls, we called them, off the truck. You get the truck going about 20, 30 miles an hour. You're perched on the side. You jump off. You do some rolls. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. We had access to the batting cages. 
So we'd put the balls in, and we did what was called ball madness, where you just drop the balls as fast as, co- as you could, and then like nine balls come at you, and you have to swing and hit as many of them as possible. So much fun. We played home run derby. Uh, you basically get on the fields, and it's just like it sounds. But because we were playing with terrible equipment, and we all sucked, uh, whoever hit the most of them out of the infield was declared the winner. One time I did 10 out of 10. Um, we used to empty the back of the truck out by going really fast in reverse and slamming on the brakes right before it got to, like, the edge of this big hill. That's how you get dirt out of the back of your truck. Any redneck knows that. Or, if you work for the city of Golden, you know that, too. Um, we used to, we had two trucks, and uh, we'd race them around the outfield. We did that a couple of times. Um, we broke three chalkers that year. Um, Brett threw a hammer at Jamie one time. Nope. Reverse that. Jamie threw a hammer at Brett one time. Uh, we were doing the fields. We might have been intoxicated. That wasn't so good. But uh, needless to say, the vast majority of the time, despite all these shenanigans, despite all this ridiculousness, we still got the job done. Like, those fields were still ready to be played on. You know, we had three different sets of fields. One at Ulysses, one at Lions, and one at Tony Gramps' park. And, you know, you'd drive around, you'd... You do your thing. And one of the things that I remember most from that summer was there were three great radio stations in Denver at the time. Two of them still exist. One was 106.7 KBPI, which I think moved to 107.9. Um, one is 93.3 KTCL, which still exists. It's still crushing it. And I feel so grateful to live in a city with them. And the other was 96.5 The Peak, which I think is now Spanish. But at the time, it was like this metal station, and they had this DJ named Graham on there. Graham was one of the funniest people I've ever heard on the radio. He used to say things like, uh, he was playing that, what the hell was that song? I think it's called End Together Now, uh, Method Man and uh, Fred Durst. And that song is garbage. Like, it's terrible. But uh, <laughs> Graham goes, he's like... Okay, that was some piece of crap by Method Man and Fred Durst, and everyone's always like, ooh, Fred Durst, Fred Durst. I hope he gets cancer. Anyway, here's something else. And he'd go to the next song. And I'm like, this is my DJ. Like, who is this guy? And then in the afternoon, he had this segment called Graham's Smoke Break, where a listener could call in, suggest three songs, they'd get the opportunity to introduce him, while presumably Graham was out having a smoke. So he was like this full-on degenerate persona, And his show was just enormously entertaining to listen to. One of my favorite shows of all time. And because you're in the city truck, you're listening to the radio constantly. And because you're listening to the radio constantly, you're going to hear certain songs over and over again. And I've gotten to the point, I used to hate these songs with the power of a thousand suns. But now, I have almost Stockholm Syndrome with them. And the three songs are Red Hot Chili Peppers' Californication. That was on constantly. And that song, I... I don't know. I don't, it's fine. Like it's fine. Right. The second one is kryptonite by three doors down, which three doors down is one of those bands when you're like, Oh yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. I had forgotten about them. Whatever happened to Eagle Eye Cherry? Like you think of three doors down and then you immediately think of like what other bands were like them. Right. You're like, Oh yeah, I remember three doors down. Whatever happened to Lifehouse? Huh? But anyway, you probably remember that song, Kryptonite. Um, 
it's one of those like late '90s sort of rockers. It's kind of a holdover from the mid '90s where the guy sings like. That's like every song in the '90s. The third song, coming back to Fred Durst, and we know how our friend Graham feels about them. The third song was "Break Stuff" by Limp Biscuit, and uh, I oddly kind of love that song. Like that song is terrible. Uh, most of Limp Biscuit's catalog is thoroughly contemptible, but I always have a soft spot in my heart for that song because it's so ridiculous. It's just like this distillation of petulant and like really feckless male anger. Just it's called break stuff, right? There's like no motive. There's no sort of like uh, referent for this. It's just I want to break stuff. It's like yeah, okay, douchebag. Uh, you're an idiot. Uh, get it under control. Go have a Coke and a smile. You'll be all right. No, no, no. Fred Durst is, uh, is going to take your skin off with a chainsaw in that song. Okay. That's amazing. That's tremendous imagery. It isn't, but whatever. So one thing we tried to do was we tried to get the, the perfect trifecta. And it was, if you could get all three songs playing at the same time on all three stations, and there was one time I was like raking the the lip, like where the infield meets the outfield. And Jamie comes tearing ass up to me in the city truck. And he goes, dude, dude, check it out. <laughs> on 93.3 was Kryptonite. On the peak was Californication. And on BPI, not break stuff, but Nookie. Oh, so close. So close to the trifecta. We worked all summer for that. And uh, never got it. So needless to say, we accomplished a lot. You know, pretty good there. Um, one other thing that bears note is the metabolism of high school-aged boys. So we're all like 18. And every morning, we'd take the city truck to one of the like convenience stores. And I'd get a Fierce Lime Gatorade and a packet of Dunkin' Sticks. Dunkin' Sticks are wonderful. There's like, they're three little donut, uh, what do you want to call them? Well, donuts, I guess, but they're not round. They're like in the shape of mini crullers. And I'd eat that for breakfast every day. And then, you know, you'd go to Taco Bell or Wendy's or whatever. And then at night, typically we're going to get Mexican food, either at like El Senor Sol or Jose O'Shea's or any number of places on the west side of town. And that was a day. Like that was the day. And then sometimes we'd go get drunk. And you could do all this and you could still work in the hot sun and feel fine. However, there was one day. Where it was the three of us, me, Carson, and Jamie. Our friend Russell had this party. And I remember drinking a lot of, I want to say like Southern Comfort and Dr. Pepper or something awful like that. And uh, we had to wake up early and go in the next morning. Because our boss, Brandon, was asking us to put up the outfield fence. Which, okay, not a big deal, right? You're putting up a fence. It took like nine hours. And... In so far as an 18-year-old can be hungover, all three of us were pretty hungover. It took nine hours. You're standing there. You're tightening screws and bolts, and you're, you know, you're basically just getting this fence up. And I remember thinking at the time, I've never worked harder for $81 in my entire life. Now, reflecting on that, that's total horseshit because I had many much harder days working at the printing company for less money and secondly, after that, I worked way harder for 
But at the time, you know, you're hungover, you're standing in the sun, and there's a certain romance about making your job feel like it's harder than it actually is and talking about it and talking about the hard times, you know? It's like we were so hungover and the sun's beating down on us. And, you know, uh, Jamie drove a shovel into Carson's fingers. This is true, by the way. So Carson was bleeding the entire day. And because of the alcohol, he bled a lot. You know, when we woke up that next morning, I'm pretty sure, like, the alcohol hadn't totally worn off. Because the way high school kids drink, it's stupid. Like, they're morons about it. They're the dumbest people on earth. And so that was us. And thinking about the fact that this was an actual city job now is sort of hilarious to me. It's like you've got these high school kids who you entrust to do this work. And they are so not qualified to do it. And they are so not doing a good job. But they're doing a good enough job to where people rarely ever bitched about us. You know? That was the good thing. Most of these people who would show up to play games at night, which brings me to the second part of this job. Uh, I also did scorekeeping, where I met Reed Saunders, oddly enough. If you remember episode 26, Rocky's public address announcer, Reed Saunders, he and I both did scorekeeping for City of Golden. Anyway, that was at night, but they'd show up and sometimes like some of the leagues were cool and you know what? It was a scale of how cool the leagues were at the, at the cool end of the scale. Usually the co-rec leagues, those are beer leagues, right? Those are just grown women and men who get together, play softball, drink some beer, have fun. They were really easygoing. They were, they were fun. You'd keep the score sheet. They weren't like super dicks about you getting it up on the scoreboard right away because you needed the book to be correct because this is league play, right? These are league games. You need the official record to be correct before you do it on the scoreboard. Next down from them uh, was probably the women's league. They were, I mean, they were nice enough. Um, they were certainly of a particular sensibility, um, which at the time just meant that they all kind of had the same haircuts and what I would guess is the same interests. Um, so really neither here nor there. They were nice enough people. Um, they were just a little bit more serious than the co-rec league and thus a little bit more of a pain in the ass. The worst league by far was the men's sea league. So the men's competitive league. Oh my God. What douchebags. These motherfuckers used to show up and there'd be, you know, Jim Rome does a whole bit about this that my dad really likes, you know, some motherfucker with his hat on backwards and his Oakley's and he's wearing like his baseball pants and he's got his nickname on his bat bag. You know, it's always something like fucking Hollywood. And, uh, you know, they show up, they take it deadly seriously and you watch them. You're like, you're playing slow pitch softball and you suck yet. You were such a fucking dick. To this 18-year-old who's keeping score for you. I hated doing the C-League. Because those guys were so serious and so angry. That if you were writing something down in the book. And like let's say two runs scored. If you didn't get it up there within 10 or 15 seconds. They're like, hey score keep! Hey score keep! Hey douchebag! I'm working on it, okay? Fucking, do you have like a ribcage tattoo that you can talk to about this? And complain there? Because I'm working on it, okay? Also, fuck you. This doesn't matter. You're playing this for fun. Or at least ostensibly for fun. I've never seen you smile once. Is this really a source of enjoyment for you? Jesus fucking Christ. All right. So you've got... 
the men's C League, which was the bitch to score keep. Thankfully, I didn't do that that much. Mostly, I was down at Gramps' Park doing the co-rec and the women's league. There was this one co-rec league where the men were forced to switch hit. That was weird. So, like, if you were right-handed, you had to hit left-handed. Um, which, I don't know. Kind of an odd thing, but maybe made those guys better, like, over the long term. May, like, maybe that wasn't having the intended effect that they thought it would. But scorekeeping was was pretty easy. It was mostly boring. You just kind of sit there and watch the games and uh, pay attention to what happened. And God willing, if there was someone there to talk to, that was helpful. But usually it was just you alone with your scorebook and your little thing that kept track of the runs and the outs and the inning and all that. But uh, Jamie trained me to do that. He's like, it's really nice that we're doing this together because they're paying both of us. Um, most of the time you're going to be here by yourself. It's going to be late, and you're going to get bored. And I go, okay, fair enough. And scorekeeping didn't pay nearly as much money as the field work did. I think that was like six fifty an hour. The, the field work was like $9 an hour. But the weird thing about that job was I finally had this job that I enjoyed, but it also had like an end date. You know, that job was me screwing off my friends. And that was, like, probably one of the best summers of my entire life. And at the end of it, I had to go to college, which I know it sounds weird to say it that way, but I had to go to college. Like, this phase of my life was over. And that was a weird feeling. And I was really, really sad about it as the summer ended. And I know you can probably relate to this. I, I was excited to go to college, but... I had a really great senior year. I moved to Texas my junior year. When I came back my senior year, I was much more popular than when I left. And I was a senior, so there were all these sophomore girls there who were, like, hot. And I'm like, who are these people? I had never seen these ladies before in my life. And I had a great year dating-wise. At the time, I thought it was filled with a lot of drama, which, all things being equal, it was probably true, but in retrospect, seems pretty silly. But, like, I drank for the first time. Like, we got really drunk at the homecoming game. That was my first time drinking. Um, you know, like, we were all smoking cloves and stuff. We were going out, having a good time. You Like, when you were 18 and you were, like, just going out with friends, going out was so cheap. Everyone's share of the bill was, like, 9 or 10 bucks, right? Because you weren't buying alcohol. If you were drinking, like, you were drinking to get fucked up. But... If you were going out, it's like because you were going out. And then, you know, you go bowling and putt-putt and all sorts of shit. Man, it was it was great. I was leaving like half my friends behind. Thankfully, Jamie was coming with me up to Fort Collins. But I was sad when it was over. I was really, really sad. And uh, I didn't really know what to do about it. So... Mostly, I just sort of worried about it and tried not to think about it as much as possible. But, I mean, that was largely impossible. And I remember my birthday is in late August. And so school had only been in for a little while. And our little crew was pretty tight. And, like, 12 people came up for my birthday. And I remember we were all standing around. And I don't know if this was the case for everyone, but we went to, like, Avogadro's number up in uh, Fort Collins. And it just felt different. You know, like something had changed. Like we weren't in high school anymore. We lived in different parts of the state. And 
I remember we were kind of standing around because it was like in the middle of the week or it was like a Monday or something. And we're like, what do we do now? And none of us knew. So like everyone left and I didn't know how to feel about it. But, you know, I guess that's just a symbol that one phase of your life is over. But what's odd is that memory is really strong. And I don't think about it often. But when I do, it's like an experience. So it's kind of strange. And I don't mean to take the air out of this, but there are moments in your life that you need to pay heed to. And when you do, and when you memorialize them a little bit, as I'm doing now, I think it's important to acknowledge the feelings that you have. Huh. So anyway, I'm fortunate to have had some great friends. That was a great job. I thought about going for it the next summer, but for whatever reason, didn't, uh, probably mostly laziness and not knowing what I was doing. Um, but I didn't work that entire first year of college. Uh, when I came back to work, um, let's see. Yeah, I did work. And the next job in this series is another one of my least favorites. Surprise, surprise. But, uh, that's a story for another time. All right, should we play the outro? Let's play the outro. Thanks for listening to John's Audio Resume, Volume 4. It's part of the John of All Trades podcast. You can find every episode of the John of All Trades podcast at jonofalltrades.us. Also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all at the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Hit that subscribe button. That helps our numbers. And, uh... If you give us a rating or a review, drop me a note. I would love to hear from you. I would love to know what you think of the show, the types of people you'd love for me to talk to. And uh, we'll keep going with this series for the foreseeable future, but we'll be back with brand new interviews, I think, starting in February or March. So, so stay tuned for that. All right, let's pay some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing anything online, whether it's a campaign, whether it's marketing, whether it's advertising, 4Degrees can get your message in front of the people who need to see it most. So check them out on the web, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Deaf Communications is who is the production company for this. Why did I say it like that? I don't know. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'm back here next week with my next job, and uh, that one... I don't have a lot of real happy stories from there, but I think it'll be entertaining nevertheless. All right. Until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.